You're listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. I'd like to begin the first reading with prayer. Please pray for me. These names are something else. Genesis 4, chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. And in your Bible, pages 3 and 4. The beginnings of civilization. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and named it Enoch after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad was the father of Mahujal, and Mahujal the father of Methusiel, and Methusiel the father of Lamech. Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Ada, and the other Zillah. Ada bore Jabal. He was the ancestor of those who live in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the ancestor of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah bore Tubal Khan, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. The sister of Tubal Khan was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy-sevenfold. The second reading today is Genesis 6, 1 through 8, in your Bibles, in your pew, pages 4 and 5. The wickedness of humankind. When people began to multiply on the face of the ground and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that they were fair and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in mortals forever, for they are flesh. Their days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God went in to the daughters of humans, who bore children to them. These were the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. Here ends the second reading. Good morning, everyone. <clears throat> fix my mic. There we go. Now I can move my head. <laughs> so we're in the midst of this teaching series on the book of Genesis, and we've been covering a lot of the classic stories of the Bible. You know, these are the stories that, like, if you grew up in church or if you went to Sunday school as a kid, or things like vacation Bible school, you know these stories. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, 
Noah's Ark, the Tower of Babel, stuff like that. These stories are very deeply ingrained in our imagination as Christians. But the opening chapters of Genesis have other stories, lesser-known stories, stories that no one in their right mind would teach to children. And actually, as I was planning the children's message this week, I kind of panicked a little bit, (laughs) because we are looking at two stories today that are pretty R-rated, and I usually like to base those talks on the sermon, and I didn't quite know what to do. Uh, We have the story of Lemek, this guy who goes around killing people, and then brags about it, and then doesn't get in trouble for it. Which, there's a message for kids, right? You can kill people and get away with it as long as everyone else is too afraid to kill you back. There's a moral story. And then there's this other really weird story about angels coming down from heaven and having sex with human women. And there are some parents here today who I'm pretty sure do not want that to be how their kids receive the talk. So I wasn't quite sure what to do. We don't tell these stories to kids because they deal with very adult themes. The only problem is, since we never heard these stories as kids ourselves, we don't really know what to do with them as adults. We usually just ignore them. And as strange and difficult and violent as these stories are, I believe they hold some truths for us that we will miss at our peril. So let's dive in. Let's talk about Lemek. Lemek's a descendant of Cain. We talked about Cain's story last week. He's the son of Adam and Eve who killed his own brother. And Lemek's story comes to us in the midst of this genealogy, which Martha did a fantastic job reading. Those are tricky. There are a lot of genealogies in the Bible. That's the part you usually skip over when you're reading it. Um, Genealogies help to mark the passage of time. Uh, They show the relationships between various characters, and they give us explanations for, like, common practices from back in the day, sort of where it came from. Cain's genealogy highlights the origin of civilization. Uh, They talk about the founding of cities, raising of livestock, metallurgy, the arts. And with Lemek, we get the origin of polygamy. Lemek's the first person in the Bible who's mentioned to have more than one wife. And the relationship between Lemek and his wives tells us a lot about what's going on in the world, and it's pretty bad. Lemek sings a song to his wives, and this really echoes back to an earlier story from Adam and Eve when Adam first lays eyes on Eve and he breaks into poetry. This one is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. It's some romantic stuff. Lemek's song is not quite as romantic. It's a victory song, bragging about the people he's killed. Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice. You wives of Lemek, listen to what I have to say. I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me or insulting me. Could be another way to translate it. That's not quite as romantic, is it? I'm a sucker for poetry, and that does absolutely nothing for me. I don't know about you. Um, But Lemek brags that he's killed two people, one of them just a boy, for wronging him in some way. This is showing us that society is going in the wrong direction. Things are getting worse. The violence we saw with Cain is beginning to escalate. And you kind of have to marvel at how Lemek learned exactly the wrong lesson 
from his ancestor Cain. Cain killed his brother, and as punishment, he was forced to wander the earth as a fugitive. But when Cain begs God for mercy, God places a mark on him to protect him, saying that anyone who carries out vengeance on Cain will be avenged seven times over. And Lemek's takeaway from all of that is that if Cain is avenged seven times over for killing one person, he'll be avenged 70 times seven for killing two. You can almost hear God being like, really? That's what you got from that? Lemek's story shows us that this gulf between human beings and God is getting wider. Whatever's left of that initial relationship in the garden is breaking down. And the same is true of the relationship between Lemek and his wives. We aren't told much about Lemek's wives, but we do get their names, and you can imply a lot in these kind of stories from a person's name. Lemek calls his wives Ada and Zillah. Ada in, in Hebrew means trophy, and Zillah means shadow. Trophy and shadow. We have fallen a long way from Eve being called bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. These two wives of Lamech are not partners with him. They're possessions. He essentially owns them. One is his trophy, one is his shadow. And this is important. In ancient Jewish culture, the family unit was supposed to be like a little microcosm of the universe. If the family was in order, then the universe was in order, and vice versa. And the relationship between husband and wife was supposed to mirror the relationship between God and humanity. Something is deeply broken in Lemek's household, and it reflects what's going, around, what's going on in the world at the time. And if we jump ahead a few more generations... We find out that by the time we get to Genesis 6, things are even worse. Our second reading for today is really weird. Every once in a while, I don't know if this has happened to you, but the Bible will kind of like throw me a curveball. I'm reading along, minding my own business, looking for something I can apply to my life, and then I get a story like this that makes me go, What? Reading from Genesis 6, verse 1. When people began to multiply on the face of the ground and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that they were fair and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in mortals forever, for they are flesh. Their days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards, When the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who bore children to them, these were the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. And I love how that last line is the closest thing to an explanation for the seemingly random story that we get. You know, the Nephilim, the heroes of old, you've all heard of that. And it's like, no, book of Genesis, I actually have no idea what you're talking about. But in spite of how confusing this story seems, how out of the blue it comes to us, it actually fits quite well with what's going on in the narrative. Things are getting worse. Violence is escalating. Creation is unraveling, and by the time we reach this story, all hell is breaking loose. 
We talked about how Lemek's story highlights this deteriorating relationship between spouses. Well, now the sons of God are getting in on the act. These angelic or maybe even divine beings, the text isn't quite clear, enter the scene. And they're taking women. They see that these women are pleasing to the eye. And so they take them. The language here echoes back to Genesis 3. When Adam and Eve see that the fruit of the tree is pleasing to the eye, and so they take it. The language is exactly the same. What started back in the garden with Adam and Eve has now escalated to a cosmic scale. When the Bible talks about sex, it almost always uses the language of knowing. Are there a lot of kids in here anymore? They're all gone, right? (laughs) I should check that before I say that. But when the Bible talks about sex, it uses the language of to know. The Hebrew word is yada. Cain knew his wife. Adam knew his wife. This is the way the Bible talks about sex. It's a euphemism. But there's no talk of knowing in Genesis 6. The term yada, to know, it doesn't appear here. Instead, the sons of God enter into the daughters of man. The language here is very explicit. Enter into is a shockingly coarse description of the mechanics of sex. It means exactly what you think it does. There's no intimacy in this description of sex. There's no love, there's no partnership, there's no knowing, only lust and domination. The sons of God don't know these women, they take them and then they enter into them. This is forceful and violent and wrong. The product of these unions are the Nephilim, literally means the fallen ones. They're giants, the heroes of old, and this is a common trope in ancient storytelling. We uh, see a lot of stories from the ancient world about gods and humans getting together and having these heroic offspring. Hercules would be a famous example. And there are extra-biblical stories, stories outside the Bible about the Nephilim. Uh, The ancient Israelites believed it was the Nephilim who taught the art of war to human beings. They believed the Nephilim forged uh, increasingly destructive and deadly weapons that humans used. But it's interesting that the book of Genesis doesn't get into any of that. Other cultures told stories and sang songs celebrating the adventures of their violent, semi-divine heroes. But we don't get stories like that about the Nephilim. We get the flood. God is going to hit reset on all of creation because of this. These so-called heroes are not to be celebrated. They're actually the problem. When God made the world in the opening chapters of Genesis, he does it by separating things. God separates the sky from the sea, sets a boundary between the oceans and dry land. This is how life was allowed to thrive and flourish. And the very first step in that process was separating heaven from earth. We usually think of heaven as good and earth as bad. It's kind of why we pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. But the conflict here isn't between heaven and earth. 
Instead, heaven and earth have teamed up to take on God. All this violence and conflict has stripped away the most fundamental barrier between earth and heaven, which are now united in rebellion against their maker. Christians like to talk about the fall. It's this theological term. We think the fall is this thing that happened when Adam and Eve ate an apple. But the fall stretches on. It's way bigger than that. It includes Cain and Lamech and this story. What started between two people in a garden and two brothers in a field has now escalated. And it's threatening to unmake the world. There's this famous line in the Quran that I'm really jealous of. That's how I am. If I see something in another religion that I think is cool, I get jealous of it. I wish we could claim it, but, it's, but we can't because it's uh, not ours. But the line is, to kill one man is to kill all of mankind. Another way to put it might be, to take one life is to destroy the world. We talk a lot about the difference between the Old and New Testament when it comes to violence. We think that the Old Testament glorifies violence, whereas in the New Testament, Jesus comes along and teaches nonviolence, and there's, there's some accuracy to that. But Jesus was deeply shaped by stories like these. And the book of Genesis is doing something very subversive in these stories. We might even call it an early form of nonviolence. Genesis is picking up on these classic tropes from ancient storytelling. Semi-divine heroes, warriors singing songs about all the people they've killed, and it's undermining them. It's subverting them. The book of Genesis is telling us that violence is actually not the way. That our violence can actually destroy the world. Or as Jesus put it, way more simply, violence begets violence. That's basically a really concise summary of Genesis 3 through 6. There's this assumption that shaped the ancient world. We've talked about it before in here as the myth of redemptive violence. It was popular back when Genesis was written. It was popular at the time of Jesus, and it's still super popular today. The myth of redemptive violence is this idea that some violence is actually good. As long as it's our team dishing out the violence. As long as it's the good guys being violent against the bad guys. Then it's okay. Then we can actually sing songs about it and celebrate it. And we still tell stories today about our violent heroes. We still sing songs celebrating our victories in battle and all the enemies we've crushed. But the book of Genesis is giving us a very different message. Genesis counters the myth of redemptive violence with the truth that violence always escalates. Violence begets violence. What begins with one man killing his own brother, if left unchecked, will escalate until it threatens our very existence. There's this one time that Jesus was teaching his disciples, and one of his disciples asked him, Teacher, if a man wrongs me, how many times do I have to forgive him? Is seven enough? And Jesus says, No. Seventy times seven. Seven. 
Now, that could just be a coincidence, but I think Jesus might have been referencing these stories. Stories about men like Lemak, who promises vengeance to anyone who wrongs him not seven times over, but 70 times seven. Essentially infinite violence. Jesus counters that by calling his disciples to practice infinite forgiveness. We have a choice to make about how we live in the world in relation to our enemies. We can practice vengeance like Lamech, or we can practice forgiveness like Jesus. Vengeance feels really good. It is super gratifying. It might even bring temporary victory, but it can cost us everything. On the other hand, forgiveness is tough doesn't feel as good. It may cost us everything, but forgiveness just might save the world. Let's pray. God, we confess that we have been seduced by the myth of redemptive violence. And so we repent. We repent of all the ways we have embraced violence in our own lives, And we pray for the courage to practice forgiveness. Empower us, Lord. Grant us wisdom and protection. Give us the courage to follow your Son in the way of peace. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.